Welcome to the Into Security Chats podcast, brought to you by InfoSecurity Magazine, the leading industry magazine and website, and presented by me, InfoSecurity Editorial Director, Eleanor Dalloway. This is the Into Security spin-off podcast that allows me to indulge in deeper meaningfuls with the industry's finest minds. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Into Security Chats. I can't believe I'm saying this, but today's episode will be my last ever Chats podcast. I think genuinely this will be one of the things I miss the most. I've loved launching this podcast series because it gives me a platform to do what I love the most, which is interviewing the industry's finest minds, as the tagline says. Um, The last ever episode, of course, calls for a very special guest. Now, sadly, I couldn't find one, so I've got (laughs) Javad Malik instead. Um, I'm only joking, of course. I handpicked Javad as my last guest, and I'm delighted that he said yes. So welcome to the podcast, Javad. Thank you so much, and I'm so glad you introduced me like that. That is the perfect introduction. (laughs) This podcast is kindly sponsored by Oxeye. Oxi helps security and development teams to discover and secure cloud-native applications before release. I should probably introduce you properly, actually, for anyone that doesn't know you, although I'm sure most people do. Javad is a security awareness advocate for Know Before. I think I first met him, however, when he was working as an analyst at 451. Um, He's just as well known as a blogger and vlogger. Uh, a podcast host of Host Unknown and co-founder of Security B-Sides London. He's also well known for delivering a completely different and often very funny perspective on InfoSec. What have I missed, Javad? Is that pretty much everything? Yeah, and I'm I'm an absolute delight to be around, I think. <laughs> what a perfect addition, <laughs> if you may say so yourself. Yes. Um, So I'm not sure if you know, but we start each Chats podcast with a food and drink pairing idea, um, which was something that your former colleague and lifelong friend, I'm sure, Wendy Nather, came up with. Um, So what would you like our lovely listeners to be eating and drinking while listening to your podcast today? Oh, wow. I, I think some vegetable samosas and a cup of tea. A cup of tea, like a proper traditional English breakfast. Yes. And how do you drink your tea? Vegetable samosas. Do you have milk, sugar? Uh, Just milk, no sugar. Because I'm sweet enough as it is. (laughs) Of course, of course. Um, So my first question, um, what do you wish you'd have known before you entered the infosec industry? I've just seen what I've done there. I've done a pun and I didn't even realise it. What do you wish you'd have known before you <laughs> entered the infosec industry? Very good. Staying on brand. So I see that sponsorship <laughs> money is really paying off. But oh, that's a that's a really interesting question because I like most people who joined the industry when I did in the late 90s early 2000s it wasn't really an industry per se it wasn't a career choice it wasn't something that you went into university and thought oh i want to work in cyber security because it didn't exist it was just it security or information security and there's like five people in the entire security team for the entire bank 
that that I worked in. But I, I think something that I, in hindsight, that I wish I'd, I'd known is that it's the technical skills are, are important, but you really, really, really need to focus on your people skills and how to work within a team and within an organization. I think I really wish I'd known that early on in my career, especially. Now, it's interesting what you said there about sort of cyber security not, in, not existing, but information security and IT security existing. We grapple this all the time internally, the difference between information security and cyber security. Are they the same thing? Are they different? What's the difference? What's your take on that? And which is your preferred use? Well, so I traditionally have always preferred information security, but over the last year, I think I've just conceded to cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. um, I think cybersecurity, I suppose, it, it, it's something I grapple with, but in my mind, it, it, it cybersecurity covers not just the information, but also the, the technology systems and the infrastructure that supports all of that. So, um, you know, you're not just worried about protecting the data, which is the information part, but you you actually want to make sure all your services are running your your you know you, the, the the infrastructure it runs on the cloud environment the on on prem environment whatever it might be um, all, all the dependencies the middleware all of that is is secure in itself as well so so i think that's that's how i probably look at it it's it's still not really like my favorite way of looking at it but um i like i said i've just conceded i don't think there's 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 any value in trying to um fight that one any more than trying to say that crypto stands for cryptography and not cryptocurrency. <laughs> I think I've actually had a really similar journey with those terms that you have um, in that the info information security was always my preference but I think I too have conceded over the years um, certainly over the last couple of years and of course um, when you think about the terms most searched for and as journalists of course we do have to think about SEO um, cybersecurity has certainly become a term that we just haven't been able to ignore but I always think that relationship between them and opinions on the correct usage is actually really important and also very much a grey area in this industry. It is, it is. I, I mean, you could be a dinosaur like, say, Tom Langford and just dig your heels <laughs> in and say, I'm not going to change. But then, you know, people aren't going to, I mean, the, half of our battle is educating the masses as to the importance of certain things. And if all of your stakeholders are referring to it as cybersecurity, there's just I don't think there's any value in in not referring to it as that. Yeah, totally. And we're definitely going to come back onto the topic of educating the masses because obviously that is something you are completely focused on. But in your first answer, you mentioned that back when you entered the industry, it wasn't really a career as such. It wasn't thought of as a career. How much progress do you think we have made at creating those paths into industry and that access of it as a or the awareness of it as a great career for people to have well i don't think we've actually done a great job as an industry i think the criminals have done a great job by attacking so many organizations so we always hear about oh cybersecurity is a big thing because you know every day you you open the digital papers there's someone getting uh, ransomware or, or some services down or unavailable or, or there's been some breach so um, and then on the other side we've 
done a really good job at romanticizing the idea of these cool hacking jobs that we have, like being a red team or a pen tester, which are absolutely valuable career paths, but they're not the only career paths. So I think what we've done is a disservice in like portraying cybersecurity as a purely kind of like offensive um, skill. And there's so many other things within the industry, like, like, you know, and like you could be a really good sort of like assurance professional, like doing, you know, assessments and you, 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 you never do a red team exercise, but you're, you're finding you're, you're doing gap analysis or, or, or something. You, you could be really good at writing policies. You could be really, you know, good at like, you know, defining requirements for projects and what have you, like you could be working, you know, working in monitoring and auditing and all that kind of stuff that all of these things really feed into the whole cybersecurity ecosystem. But it's it's a bit like, I think, thinking that you want to go into medicine and heart surgeon is the only option or surgeon is the only option. But no, there, there are so many other disciplines within it that are often overlooked, but they are uh, just as uh, valuable, if not more so, and they make up the majority of the role. So I think we're, we're, we're still not doing a fantastic job at, at preparing the next generation for the, the, the kind of jobs that are actually out there. Yeah, I think that's a great analogy with with medicine as well. And we actually did some research around this recently and covered this, the rhetoric that we use in the industry, the images um, that we constantly use to portray our industry of hackers in hoodies, the skulls, all of these, the code, the binary code everywhere. It's like, I think you use the word disservice. It's the perfect word. It's doing such a disservice to such a colourful industry that does so much good and just portrays it in this very narrow-minded, dark way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Rowena Fielding, she uh, I once talked to her, she goes like, there's so much militarization of the terminology when we, we talk about it. it. It just feels like a very macho, testosterone-led industry. And it's not. You're, you're so right in saying it's a colourful industry. I mean, we, when we go to events, you see all sorts of people there and, and they're, they're wonderful people, lovely people. And I think that's what we need to get out there. And I think that's how we're going to attract the more diverse and, and colourful people into the industry. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I wonder whether that sort of plays into the the lack of diversity that we do often suffer with as well in the industry, that the marketing job we are doing of our own industry and our own culture is so terrible that we're attracted. We're not attracting a diverse range of candidates because, like you say, that militarization of language um, is not going to appeal to everyone. That sort of macho use of imagery, it's, it's going to put people off. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that that definitely needs to change. We need to just, you know, and, and I think you, over the years you've you've done a fantastic job at Infosecurity magazine and like you, you've interviewed a whole like variety of people and you've really sort of got under the skin and presented, you know, people as a, as a human and, you know, what, what their interests are outside of work and how they bring that into the workplace. And I think we, we just need more Eleanor's in the world. Oh, what a lovely thing to say. I'm sure there's lots of people um, that would completely argue against that. But um, what a lovely thing to say. So, Javed, you've worked across the board. You've worked as an end user, um, companies like Lloyds Bank, BP, uh, Tesco Bank. You've worked as an analyst for, for 451. Um, you've worked at vendors. I know of Alien Vault and, of course, know before. Um, I may be missing a few from that list. But where does your heart lie? Like how easy is the transition from one to another and where do you feel most at home? 
So I, I feel most at home at where I am currently. But I'll caveat that by saying that I wouldn't feel as home at home where I am currently had I not gone through the journey that I took to arrive here. So I think working in an end user organization is is probably the most stressful. Um, at least I found it quite stressful uh, working in a bank, working in the in the coal face, you know, being responsible for making those decisions, you know, ensuring security is injected into all your projects and and it's suitably funded and it, it, it's given the regard that it is and arguing with auditors and everything it's i mean i think it's personally it, it was quite a, a steep learning curve it was quite stressful but uh, and i have tremendous amount of respect for the people that do that day in day out because i think those are like the majority of our industry that we don't really hear from they're not active on twitter they don't really spend their time going to a lot of conferences and what have you because they're actually doing the real job but had i not gone through you know the five seven years in my early career doing those kinds of jobs i don't think i would have been an effective analyst and i certainly wouldn't have been any good at my job that i am today so i think it's like i am where i am now because i've i, I built that solid foundation and then i gravitated towards fields that naturally supported my my own interests and probably where, where my strengths lie yeah that's really interesting that it's it's been a journey to get you where you are I suppose and actually I find quite a few people do it the same way you do by doing the end user work first and then landing in a vendor sort of later on in their career you, you mentioned sort of how stressful I think you use the word stressful anyway I'm maybe paraphrasing it is to be an end user um, what do you think is at the core of that what's the most stressful thing about being a CISO or an end user is it the pressure is it the blame the weight of responsibility or budget challenges time constraints what's sort of the backbone of that stress yeah I, I think it's all of the above uh one of the things and uh, that 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 I struggle with in in those environments is there's the constant context switching. So one minute you're trying to put out a fire because some someone's jumping up and down that they've lost access to something. On the other hand, then you've got like some project manager who's hit hit some budget budget restraints. On the other hand, you've got like some risk committee that doesn't want this to happen or that to happen. Then you've got maybe if you've got a team, you've got personal issues to deal with. So I think it's that context switching all the time that is dragging your phone. So so you have to be really disciplined and self-disciplined and say, okay, I need to prioritize these things, do it like this, and you know, find a way to manage those other things later. But I, I think that's where it, it's really stressful. Where, when you're like an analyst, then you know you set your your research calendar out for the next quarter or or, or beyond even and you're like, okay, I'm gonna cover this focus area, I'm going to speak to these vendors, I'm going to publish this many reports. It's it's still work, but it's it's a lot less context switching because you're just focused on on certain things that you're doing. So I think in that regard, it, it it's probably like where I'm probably le less suited for, for that environment personally, where, you know, doing all those multiple activities and constantly having to prioritize and reprioritize and switch context was was the the, the more stressful part. Are you saying you're not a great multitasker, Javad? <laughs> Absolutely, I'm saying that 100%. You can ask my wife. <laughs> I was going to say, I will verify that with your wife. <laughs> um, actually, it reminds me, though, that 
burnout and, and stress was is something regrettably that I've I really wanted to launch an entire content series devoted to that topic because I think it is something that is endemic in the industry and I have run out of time to do that before I leave but I do hope that the magazine continues with that because I do think it is something that's affecting all corners of this industry and many industries of course but particularly the end user um, piece so everything you've just said has kind of validated that idea I suppose. Oh yeah no I think it is it's really important I think overall well-being is is one of those things that I mean thankfully it's getting a lot more uh, mainstream attention mm-hmm. but but we, we we do have this thing about especially with working from home and the pandemic didn't help so there's there's a number of issues and it I don't think it's a it's an easy one to to fix I don't think it's anything to fix but the more we can talk about it and, and exchange tools and techniques and methods that work for for certain groups or, or, or certain individuals, uh, we can find strategies that that can help us individually, and hopefully we can we can then be better placed to identify those signs of burnout and and avoid it. But it's you're right, it's it's a massive topic, and uh, I, I I don't know how one would go about starting all of that. Let's take a quick break here to tell you a little bit about this podcast's sponsor, Oxi. Oxi helps developers and security teams to focus on the most critical application layer vulnerabilities by discovering cloud-native applications in the runtime environment, followed by finding the exploitable code vulnerabilities, vulnerable third-party packages, and hard-coded secrets, providing clear remediation guidance to secure the applications before production. Oxide patent pending technology leverages SAST, DAST, IAST, and CSA technologies with modern application flow tracing and infrastructure configuration analysis to focus on the most exploitable vulnerabilities, all with quick and easy installation designed for DevOps teams to deploy, AppSec teams to inspect, and developers to remediate. I want to touch on your vlogging. So I think it's something that probably is synonymous with you as a name and as a personal brand. It's definitely how I sort of think of you. What was the inspiration behind sort of beginning that vlogging journey? And um, secondly, how did you bribe your child to join in? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So um, I found myself really interested in YouTube from like, you know, long time ago. This is before you had a lot of major brands on it or whatever but you had a lot of a number of like independent really good sort of content creators and I thought those are really good I I find them really entertaining they're really engaging and what have you and I and and I've always been interested in in like that that kind of medium like the movies the tvs the youtubes in just like how you can get really creative and how you can like really get a story across and the story can be told in like 30 seconds it doesn't need to be like a two-hour epic and YouTubers were doing that really well. And I thought, these guys and girls, they're, they're making, you, you know, they're getting millions of views on these uh, videos and they're talking literally about nothing. It's like someone could be doing a video about, you know, how I match my, my socks in the morning or how do I make sure that they don't get lost in the wash. And, you know, there's 10 million views. And I'm like, well, maybe I could do something like that. So it's my creative need, but I can do it related to security and hopefully it'll help me learn a bit more and maybe I could help educate or entertain a few people 
along the way. So that's kind of like where it started from. So especially in the beginning, you see that I, I, I invested a lot in of time in making kind of like sketches or, or doing parodies because I found that the parodies and the sketches and and the almost like inside jokes worked really well and they and they still do with within our industry because everyone can look at that and laugh and they were like aha yes we we get that joke so uh, it, it was just one of the I, I mean even to today like my most popular video I think is the benefits of CISSP uh-huh. uh, it's where I'm flashing the badge and kicking down a door and like saying that <laughs> that's you know so it, it's all a bit ridiculous but I think it just um it just relates to people on the inside. So I, I, I never thought, and, and I don't have aspirations of becoming one of these YouTubers that gets millions and millions of views on their videos. I'm, it would be nice. I wouldn't say no to that, but <laughs> I, I'm catering for a very small audience, but they're the right audience, I think, for, for me. Yeah, and I th- well, I think it comes back to sort of that, being an appetite for the industry to be portrayed in a slightly different way and if we can take something that's serious and make it light-hearted and therefore engaging you know make people smile or make people laugh then surely that is a great alternative to the same old hoodie pictures being pushed out there time and time again yeah yeah I mean even now I mean you go to I mean RSA is coming up and um, it's you, you walk around it and it's almost like everyone's got the same interior designer who 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 designed the set of the matrix they're yes. like black backgrounds green coat tumbling down and, and what have you and and big like you know digital signs going off but but that's kind of like how a lot of the videos like if you go on youtube and do a search for cyber security they're either going to be uh very educational but academic kind of videos like talking head videos or if, if they're a bit dramatic or documentary style, you're going to get that classic, like ominous music plays, uh, yeah. you know, a global shot, uh, you know, code tumbling down, some some hooded, shady people, the anonymous masks. It's, 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 it's just a template you see that everyone reuses time and time again. And I think that kind of like puts, it could put a lot of people off. But if we make it a bit more accessible, a bit more fun, a bit more engaging, I'm sure we can like, make it more interesting for everybody and what about the that second part of the question about bribing your child <laughs> well at the time she was uh, she was too young to know what i was asking of her so <laughs> now she's older she's she's nearly 17 and uh, she she hasn't been in any of my videos for a long long time <laughs> way too cool for you dad <laughs> she is way too cool although she does sometimes help with the camera work and you know behind the scenes kind of stuff but uh but yeah other than that I, I'm just glad she even uh, agrees to be seen in public with me anymore <laughs> that is really sweet um I I've, I was looking through your your blogs recently and it's I was really sort of trying to get my head around how when you have a fixed amount of capacity to write your blogs and do your security advocacy piece how on earth do you decide which topic to pick next like what's your where's your go-to to 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 make those kind of calls oh it's (laughs) there are there are a few places so I, i think there are like some um uh, they're almost like content mines that you, you that you create over time and you go back to those same wells time and time again to to, to get your inspiration and ideas from. For for a long time, Twitter was probably my, my biggest source of inspiration. Uh-huh. But, but Twitter's become quite 
polluted and it, there's a lot of noise the, the the noise ratio is 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 really high on there but i, I will go to um for, for if it's something that's more of a um a, a newsworthy event I'll, I'll go to one of the the good magazines like info security magazine of course and uh, <laughs> check out the news and then see what's happening there and and then like try to come up with my own spin on something like that so sometimes i'll do it almost like well this happened this is really cool um, or I'll, I'll try I'll use that as a springboard to say well this happened and here's the underlying thing and this is the core concept that I will you know I, I think people should walk away with um, th there are some longer form things that I I try to work on like because you know when you break it down there aren't like a million concepts that we want to get across in cybersecurity there's there's you know you there, there's a short list so yeah. it, it's about reinforcing the same messages in different ways or in light of new evidence or incidents that that have occurred so what i'll do is i i, I kind of like stack a lot of my content so I'll, I'll write one piece like more of or work on a long form piece as 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 a first thing so if i've written a blog on something that's pretty much 80 percent of a youtube script already written uh, and that's also something I can split out into a tweet thread or, or random tweets. And that's also something I could maybe take a graphic out of and post it on Instagram. So I, I, I would do a lot of that. So uh, so for one time effort, I will try to get like multiple channels of output onto it. And and I think that that were, I mean, Tom and Andy, we, we do the host online podcast together every week when we record it there's always like one or two stories. I think that's really cool. So I'll make a little video on that. I'll basically rehash what I said in the podcast, but in a video form. And they're always like, oh, look at you repurposing our content again. And we're <laughs> going <laughs> to charge you royalties. And I'm like, hey, don't hate the player. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a completely different audience. And, you know, the whole idea is to get get that story out there. I'm so glad you, you said that actually a minute ago you said and it was something that completely resonates with me there's not that many core messages that we want to put out as an industry to, to end users and, and that is so true and it's taken me probably <laughs> the entire 15 years of my tenure at Info Security Magazine <laughs> to actually figure that out but it is something that recently has occurred to me that there's some very and I don't want to use simple because that's derogatory but there are some basic concepts and there aren't that many of them if we can get people to understand those the general security and resilience that we would get as a result would hugely increase um so i'm really glad that you've said that because um that's exactly what i think as well and uh, so on that note um obviously awareness of the masses is is your role it's what you are paid to do um what's the greatest challenge that you face when trying to bring awareness to the masses, to the Joe blogs? So I think as a uh, overall, the biggest challenges, uh, they're, they're twofold. One is the why. Um, and as an industry, we're very good at training people. You shall not do this or you shall do this. But without giving the why to people, we're, it, it's always an uphill battle. So. Um, we, we've seen examples in the past where people use uh, simulated phishing in a, in a really bad way. So the security team, they know that half the people have been made redundant and then they'll create a phishing campaign to send to the other half of the staff saying, here's a bonus, click here to, to, to get your bonus details or what have you. 
And then when they click on it, they say, ha ha, you've been fished. So I, I think that kind of thing, it's 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 really counterproductive because it, it really gets people's backs up and forms a negative opinion about the security t- department and what they're trying to do or what they're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And so so a lot of times it's almost positioned as we're more clever than you, we're better than you, and look at how many ways we can own you, as opposed to making it a more collaborative effort and and trying to get people on board and understanding why these things are important. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's like a firefighter t- telling you you should test your smoke alarms. It's for your benefit. But for someone to come in and then set fire to your house and then laugh at you saying like, ha, ah, if you had a smoke alarm, you would have figured that out five minutes before you actually did. It, it's counterproductive. You're like, well, you just burnt my house down or you caused me distress and, and trauma and I'm, I'm never really going to trust you or come to you for anything. So I think that that's the first thing that as an industry is a big challenge is like, breaking down those hurdles because like those barriers that people have put up because you go to them say hey I'm from the security team I want to talk to you about security and they're like I have no time for you go away Uh, so so that's number one and the second hurdle I think is the type of content or or the manner in which we we mandate these trainings is often really bad Uh, many times it's like the first time anyone ever experiences any security awareness training is when they join their organization they're taken into a room and someone goes through a 45 minute presentation and, uh, you know, they're given some coffee and donuts, but there's like, okay, job done. Now you should all be security experts. And people are just like not built like that. So I think we need to think more uh, in terms of uh, how a marketing campaign is done as opposed to how we do training. And, uh, you know, marketing campaigns, you, 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 you boil down the top one, two, three behaviors that you think are the riskiest for your organization. So maybe in your organization, maybe in your office, there's lots of people that walk in and no one knows who they are or people don't wear their badges. So maybe that's number one behavior. Okay, target that and then make it like really short, snappy, like reminders. Don't just subject them to an hour long video about the here are the 15 dangers of strangers in your office, but, you know, have little <laughs> posters up, have have little reminders up, you know, add in some some training for your security team at the front desk or, or what have you, and, and create that culture where like, and, and this won't happen overnight. This will take, you know, months or even, a, you know, years to to implement, but the change will happen and we need to be patient and, and be in it for, for the long haul. I completely agree with everything you just said. It makes just to- total sense um, and it was very articulately put so um, <laughs> well done. I, I, you did mention about um, the host unknown podcast and how sometimes um, they take the mickey out of you for rehashing podcast content on your blog. Now before we started recording today you told me the story about how they recorded one podcast um, and you didn't turn up because you were shopping so do tell the listeners what you did in retaliation. So yeah, so um, there, there was a podcast and they there was just a big mix up in in like the timing. I was out of the country, so the time zones were were different and everything. And and you know them two being the type of friends they are, they never let the truth get in the way of a good story. So they, they'll always fabricate something and try to besmirch my good name. Uh, so they recorded the whole show, and uh, this was episode one zero two. So then a few days later, I recorded 102a which is basically the same stories the same show but i recorded it completely on my own and i published that 
on our on our podcast. So uh, you know, and and I think most people agreed that my solo show was actually a lot better than the the combined the, the show that they put out. Have you analysed the analytics, Javad? Do you know which one performed best? Uh, I, you know what? I'm not really into vanity metrics, but uh, I, if, if I were to go in and look at it, I'm sure I, it would be like, you know, totally like three times at least more downloads than this. <laughs> um, I'm going to encourage you to go and do that. Even if we don't publish it, I'd love to know. <laughs> Um, okay, right. I'm going to move into the final section of the podcast, which is my quick fire rounds, which is made up of lots of silly short questions. So bear with me. If you could have anyone following you on Twitter, who would you like it to be? Oh, that's ri- I, I suddenly completely blanked. Normally, I'm, normally I can think of stuff stuff off the cuff. Um, Elon Musk. Oh, why why Elon Musk? Well, you know, it's only because he has so much clout on the platform mm-hmm. that I think if he follows me and I release my own cryptocurrency coin and he retweets it, then I could become a billionaire overnight. <laughs> Purely selfish reasons, that's all. Okay. Okay, perfect. What's your what would be your death row meal? Death row meal. That's the ultimate cheat meal, isn't it? I think a whole oh. stack of pancakes something like very american like an american breakfast would be you know like with like lots of syrup on it pancakes waffles coffee something really sweet full of carbs indulgent yes yeah that would be very comforting too wouldn't it okay um what's the best practical joke you've ever done and um was it on tom or andy (laughs) (laughs) oh best practical joke i've ever done so there was a this is like really long time ago. Um, a friend, he a friend of the family, he he raised a, a, he he done a fundraiser. There was some sort of like crisis in the world. This is going back to the 80s, and uh, he he arranged like a fundraiser event. There was like a drinks and everything, and you know he presented a massive check at the end. And uh, I, I phoned him up on his mobile. He, he was like one of the few people that had a mobile. And I pretended to be from Inland Revenue and say there were some discrepancies and like the Charities Commission. And I had him on the phone for like half an hour asking him all sorts of questions before I finally told him that. <laughs> it was a prank. But yeah, he, he really was uh, sweating bullets because he thought that he maybe like, you know, needed to file file some forms or something and there was something wrong. And I was telling him yeah, he needed to pay the tax on it. Otherwise, he could face prosecution. And so... <laughs> And now you work for no before. <laughs> I work for no before. Yes, yes. So, you know. <laughs> uh, next question. Is Host Unknown really more entertaining than Smashing Security? Absolutely, without a doubt. Come on. That's not even a real question. <laughs> okay. Penultimate question. And I've got to say, I really patted myself on the back when I came up with this one. In a PG version of the game, um, Snog Marry Shoots, who out of you and your host unknown co-hosts would get voted for which which option by the InfoSec industry? So if Andy, you and Tom were all up for Snog Marry Shoot, who do you think would get voted for which option? Wow. So I'm definitely husband material, so I, I'd be the one to marry Andy is he, because of his Haribo consumption. He is very sweet, so snog him and definitely shoot Tom because he's had a good life anyway. He's got not much to live for. 
like the way you've put it down to Haribo. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Okay, final question. And I ask this to everyone. It's the desert island question. So if you were stranded on a desert island for one year on your own and you only had one song to listen to, one book to read and one luxury item with you, what would you take? <laughs> I'd have uh, Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. Don't hate me. Nice. Uh, the, the book would be uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. I love that book. Love it. And luxury item would be like a memory foam mattress, like one of those really good ones. So I don't get a bad back every morning when I wake up. They are excellent answers and actually I would fully agree with most of them so you may not know this about me not many people do but I have been to see Bon Jovi live seven times wow <laughs> which definitely makes me a super fan so I approve of your song choice I'm a huge fan of sleep so I think the mattress is a great shout and um, the book not giving a f is absolutely fantastic isn't it and it completely changed my way of thinking about things when I read it yeah is that is that what led you to resign <laughs> <laughs> you read the book and said like okay I'm out of here peace out <laughs> listen Javad I asked the questions okay I'm not here to answer any <laughs> we will invite you on the host oh, podcast <laughs> yeah that's true okay well we are out of time um thank you so much Javad. it's been such a pleasure to have you um as my last ever chats guest i've really enjoyed our conversation today oh thank you thank you i'm glad you're you're going out on a low note so you know <laughs> yeah, way is that right pleasure. it's been my absolute pleasure and you know i've followed you for so many years and uh, you've done some amazing work so Best of luck wherever you go, whatever you choose to do. I'm sure, you know, it's, it'll be a big loss for info security, but, you know, a massive gain to wherever you end up. Even if you don't go anywhere, I'm sure, you know, your family will appreciate having you around a bit more. So Aww. good. That is so kind. Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to seeing you at InfoSec in two weeks. Oh, yes. Excellent. Yes, we will. See you there. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Into Security Chats. I've been Eleanor Dalloway, and it has been a pleasure to have you listening in. Join the conversation next month as I get to know my next guest. 